And our passage for the sermon today is Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, uh, as you know, I've been replacing Matt. This will be my last Sunday uh, as his... uh, as his replacement, and he'll be taking over from here on. And we've been working through Philippians, and I tried hard to get through the whole thing. Uh, and uh, every Sunday it was a, ch- a question, do I rush through, or do I dwell and, and really dig deep? And today we're going to dig deep, and uh, I'm going to leave the rest of Philippians for another day. Uh, but we're going to look especially at be anxious for nothing. And just to remind us where we're at, uh, Philippians is a book written in the first century by the Apostle Paul to a church. Paul was a missionary. This was a church that was supporting him financially. They gave him a financial gift, and he sent them back a thank you letter. And so it's primarily a thank you letter. He's also addressing things in the church, that there's division within the church. And this, he finally got to the point right before our passage. After going over from a various different Uh, covering the same territory from a number of different perspectives on humility of spirit, uh, treating others with respect, elevating others. He finally gets to the point in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Judea and I urge Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So finally, towards the end, he says, look, you two get along, and also I'm going to name somebody else as an arbitrator between you two, the The issue has gotten that bad. Uh, And so we looked at that a little bit last week. Because I'm so, uh, there's so much here, and it's it's frustrating me not to be able to fit it all in, I've started podcasting a few different topics. I have a podcast. If you don't know what that is, you can ask me later. Uh, If you're on Facebook, you can easily find my podcasts. And I did a podcast on church unity, looking just at this verse and the themes throughout the passage. I also did a podcast on forgiveness, and I also did a podcast on meditation, which will be kind of extra thoughts that didn't fit into today's sermon. And so I'd invite you to find that um, after the sermon or later this week. But today we're going to look at the word anxiety and that passage. Now, um, as I say the word anxiety, you, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you know somebody personally, in your personal circle of friends, or if you yourself have struggled with anxiety, would you just raise your hand if this has touched you in some way? Exactly. So as I say anxiety, as we read this, be anxious for nothing. This is not an abstract, out there problem that some people struggle with. This is something that almost all of us struggle with, or we know somebody that has struggled with it. It has come close to us in our lives. Uh, I was the speaker at Parkside Ranch a few years back, and towards the end of the, my time talking, I asked the kids, who here is stressed? And this was young kids, 
Like I was expecting one or two hands to go up. Uh, they were between 10 and 12, I believe, something like that, preteens. Almost, I'd say about 70% of the girls raised their hand, about 40% of the boys raised their hand. Like, it was a lot of kids that are stressed, uh, as well as many adults and, and, you know, people from all walks of life. I work with college kids, university kids, a lot of them are stressed, and that's a subject that they always want me to talk on. So this is something that comes close to home. This is something that we know about and that we want answers for. How do I have less stress, less anxiety in my life? So I want to start this off with bad news and good news. Okay? Bad news first. The bad news is if you really are struggling with anxiety and stress, a 25-minute sermon is not going to fix everything. Okay? So I want to set your expectations low. Uh, even memorizing this passage, even, you know, whatever. Uh, set your expectations low. Okay, I'm not going to fix everything. That being said, the good news is I think there are some keys here that can be part of a journey out of anxiety and stress. This can be part of a complete breakfast or <laughs> part of this complete solution. Uh, likely, if you're significantly struggling with anxiety, it took more than a day to get into the problem, and it'll take more than a day to get out. It'll be a journey. And I would invite you to find help and therapists and, and medicine and all the help that you need to get out of that. But I do think that today's sermon is going to be part of that. And so I, there is good news with the bad news. So you can take out your sermon notes. Uh, some of you have a small one, some of you have a big one. And we're going to look at this central question. How can I have peace rather than anxiety? Because that's what I think this passage is talking about. Be anxious for nothing. Skip some stuff. And then, and the, and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So don't be anxious. Rather, the peace of God will protect you. That's what we want. We want the peace of God to protect us. So the first point I have is don't choose to be anxious. And you might be looking at that like, Josiah, really? You're, you're looking at an anxious person. You're telling them, don't be anxious. This is like armchair counselor 101. The first thing you don't do to a stressed out person is say, stop stressing out. Never in the history of calming down has it ever calmed somebody down to say, calm down, right? Um, but is it possible that sometimes we choose stress? Is it possible that sometimes we choose anxiety? I've come up with a term. It's just with me, just between us. Uh, this isn't a psychological term. But I think there's active anxiety and passive anxiety. Sometimes anxiety happens to you. You're just walking along, your, you're doing your thing, and anxiety hits, and you're like, what's happening? And the, the people that really have anxiety attacks say, it feels like somebody else took control of your body. And that's what is so debilitating and so stressful about it. But there's also a time when we are actively anxious, and we actively put stress on ourselves. Uh, earlier this week, this was midterm week. It's very appropriate, actually, for um, where we're at, as, well, uh, as far as students are concerned. Uh, we had a Bible study, and I was doing the rounds, trying to visit with students, and the one was sitting on his computer, and I was like, hey, how's it going? How's the weather? You know, and, and he kind of wouldn't engage with me, and then finally he said, you know, I'm studying, and every second counts. Okay, <laughs> have a good day. And I'll go on to somebody else. And then somebody else was really anxious because he failed an important exam. And he was all stressed out. And then I went to another girl. And I said, are you stressed out too? And she said, 
Non, c'est plus le contraire. No, it's more the opposite. I'm not stressed enough. And she felt like she couldn't study in, unless she had stress. And so she said, actually, I could kind of use a little bit more stress. I'm feeling very chill, but I know that I should probably be more stressed than I am. And we do that sometimes, right? Sometimes we choose stress. We actively go out of our way to say, what I need is some stress in our lives. I have an unofficial, incomplete list of ways that, reasons that somebody would choose anxiety. Number one, I live here. This is my home, okay? They have learned to manage their laziness through stress. This one has my name on it. They have learned to manage their laziness through stress. This is the girl I was talking to. Like, I know I should study, but I don't study unless I'm stressed, so really I need to get myself worked into a frenzy to get this studying done. They have learned to optimize their performance through stress. Some people have learned that they, they work at their at peak performance through stress. And so they stress themselves out about things and that's how they get, get the high grades. They believe it is responsible to be stressed. Look, if I'm not stressing about tomorrow, then who is? Somebody's gotta be worked up about it. Somebody's gotta care about what's happening. Nobody else is caring, I gotta care. Some people believe it's godly to be stressed. You know who these people are because they'll get in your face and tell about, talk to you about politics and about culture and about all the things that are happening in the world and all the bad news. And then they'll say, aren't you stressed? And they won't say that. But they're stressed. They want you to be stressed because they believe it's godly in some way to be stressed. Some people are just used to it. Some people are just used to it. There's a quote that made its round on Facebook yesterday. Again, very timely and appropriate. Tis the season, I suppose. Um, but I thought it was very appropriate. Gabor Mate said, for those habituated to high levels of intense stress since early childhood, it is the absence of stress that causes unease, evoking boredom and, this, and the feeling of meaninglessness. People may become addicted to their own stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. To such persons, stress feels desirable, while the absence of it feels like something to be avoided. And that's by Dr. Gabor Mate in the book, When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress. So some people are just used to it. This is the normal default operating system of their life. And if they don't feel stressed, then it's like, what's going on? I ought to feel stressed. The last one that didn't make it on here in uh, the last minute stress of my preparations was uh, sometimes there's something wrong in your life. And your subconscious is knocking on the door of your conscious mind and saying, hello, hello. Either something bad in the, in the past happened to me and that isn't resolved, or something bad in the future might happen to me and that we're not prepared for that. And so sometimes you need to consult your stress and say, is there a reason that I'm stressed? And sometimes the reason is because there's impending doom or because there's deep pain in the past that needs to be dealt with. So there's reasons for stress. And sometimes we choose anxiety. We choose stress. We, we go out of our way to say, what I need right now is stress. So there's some alternatives. And again, this is incomplete. This is just, uh, this is my ideas. This isn't necessarily scriptures. But if we're not going to choose stress, here's some other things we could choose. You could buy a calendar and use it, right? That could help to diminish stress. You could use a journal to write out your thoughts and, and write poems and, and try and, and think through what you're, th what you're feeling. You could choose to be honest with one good friend about what's really going on inside. You could make a list and prioritize it. 
These are all the things I need to do. Wow, that's 30 things. That's crazy. Okay, what are the three things that I absolutely need to do? Put those at the top. Every, every morning that I sit down in my office, I have a, a list that says must do, should do, and can do. And on the side, it has the, my appointments for the day. It's a lifesaver because there's always 30 things I, I could do. But when I prioritize them and I at least get the must do done for the day, I've had a good day, right? Because if I don't prioritize them, I'll just do the fun things at the bottom, right? So make a list and prioritize it. Break down big deadlines into small tasks. Stressful to think about an exam, but you can think about I need to have this memorized first, then this memorized, and then I'll be ready. Work today on the evil of the day. Matthew 6, 34. Sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. And part of the reason that we're stressed is because we're not working today on the boring, mundane, painful, embarrassing, obscure things that happen today, that need to happen today. And so those things just keep growing until it becomes a monster that, that wants to eat us. So all these things we can do instead of being stressed. And we ought not choose anxiety. We ought not choose stress. This is a biblical commandment. Be anxious for nothing. What are the things you should be stressed about? We'll make a list. Nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. So that's active, what I'm calling active anxiety. But there's going to be things that you're going to say, I can't help it. The anxiety comes, the stress comes. And there's, we live in a big, bad, scary world, and we love people. We love ourselves, for one thing. But we also love other people, and we know that bad things happen to people, even good people. And that's why this passage doesn't just end with be anxious for nothing, but continues. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is what we do with the things we can't control, with what I would call passive anxiety. We confront them with prayer and supplication. So in everything, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, pray. See, you're anxious for nothing, but you're praying for everything. There's a strong dichotomy here. By prayers and petitions. I look deep into the Greek. There's not a lot to see here, except that the word prayer means wishes. So there isn't a word for this in English, which is why they put it in prayer. But it's kind of like the etymology of how this word happened. It's kind of like when you say, I wish upon a star, or I wish upon a candle. And then you could say, did you make a wish? And so that's the, word, that's the Greek word that we're looking at. It's a wish, but it's a wish toward something. Uh, pray is a little bit different etymology. But making your wishes and then your requests is the other Greek word. So we're wishing things towards God. God, I would like this to happen. This is the thing that I want. This is my wish. And also, God, I want you to do this. Would you please do this? Would you please give me this? With thanksgiving... With thanksgiving. This is something that you could take that out and the sentence would make sense, wouldn't it? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made known to God. You didn't even notice it was gone, right? As far as the sentence is concerned, it's not essential. Paul adds it in there even though it makes the sentence long and awkward because it's important. It's important. Because as a parent you know that your job is to respond to wishes and requests, right? That's 24-7, right? Am I right, parents of young kids? And they make their wishes known to you and they make their requests known to you all the time. 
And there's two modes in which they can operate. There's a mode of entitlement. I need this. I want this. Give me this. I told you to give me this. You hurt me. You gave me this and I wanted that and you're not listening to me. And there's a mode of gratitude. I love you, mommy. Thank you for this. Please can I have that? Thank you for supper. It was so good. Would you please move over? Could you please pass me the milk? And you can have two kids that have the same parents, that have the same food, that have the same rights, that have the same access to mom and dad. Sometimes this is the same kid. It's just a different time of the day. Or, um, you know, they can switch. <laughs> it's a Jacqueline Hyde, you know, that just changes. It's, it's not the surrounding that changes. It's the child that changes. It's their orientation. And children that inhabit a place of gratitude inhabit a brighter, warmer, more healthy place. And that's on them. And as parents, we try and push them into that place. Not, well, it is partially for our benefit, let's be honest here. <laughs> but it's not primarily for our benefit. It's primarily because we care for them and we want them to live out of gratitude and not out of entitlement. Because an entitled child becomes an entitled adolescent becomes an entitled adult who becomes a person that is never happy and is never satisfied with anything. And so when we approach our Heavenly Father, we approach Him from an attitude of gratitude, not from an attitude of entitlement. And we make our wishes known to Him, we make our requests known to Him out of an attitude of gratitude. Please, can I have this? Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for for being my father and loving me. Let your requests be made known to God. The word here is like a demand, or like a petition, or like something that, like a, a governor or a prime minister or a president would have a request that lands on his table. And this is what we want to happen. This is, this is our demand. This is our request. This is our petition. So let's not skim over this and assume that this is happening when we pray. Because I don't think it is happening all the time. I've got four questions here for you. Does God know what you want after you pray? Does God know what you want? I'll ask you a question before that. Do you know what you want? Do you know what you want when you pray? There's this great story in Mark 10, 36, also repeated in Matthew, of this blind man by the road. Here's Jesus coming and starts yelling at him. People with physical deformities were social outcasts at the time. <clears throat> he had a hard time getting himself known. He had a hard time getting access to Jesus, but he made such a racket that finally Jesus said, bring him over here. He made his way through the crowd. He threw his, his coat aside. He's a blind man. He threw his coat on the ground in a crowd. It's kind of a big deal. And he made his way to Jesus, and Jesus said, what would you like me to do for you? Isn't it obvious, Jesus? No, it's not always obvious. It's not always obvious what we want God to do for us. Do you know what you want? Have you thought it through? Have you, have you formulated the request? And have you made it known to God? Do you feel as though that request has landed on the desk of God and God is now looking at it and considering whether to approve it or not? Sometimes we just kind of ramble, which is not bad. 
But what Paul is saying here is make your requests formally known to God where God, you know what you want, now God knows what you, what you want. And the request is presented to him. Fourth question is if God answered you, would you know about it? Sometimes we say, well, God never does anything in my life. Where's the miracles? Well, do you even know? Like, are you keeping track? A lot of people keep prayer journals for this reason. I don't. I should. Um, but if God answered you, would you actually know about it? Right? Is there some record? Are you, are, is, is the request formulated enough that it, you're going to remember this if this happens? Uh, it says elsewhere in the New Testament, be awake in your prayers. Be awake in your prayers. And let's, let's think through it. A bit. And part of that is that we're thinking through our problems. And we're thinking through a, a solution we would like to happen. And then we're presenting that to God. And that's good therapy. We're just thinking through what we want to happen and what the ideal situation and outcome could be. And also we can see God answering our prayers. And we can rejoice in that. And the promise is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word peace is what, what we get the English word Irene, the name Irene from. And for the Greeks it meant a bringing together, meaning like the absence of war. When two sides come together, we have peace. So it's the absence of conflict. For the Jews, it means a sense of completion or wholeness, that all things are in their place and we have harmony and things are well, things are full, things are complete. And so Paul is a Jew writing to Greeks, probably a little bit of both are coming into this, that there is an absence of conflict and there is all things are in their place and there is wholeness and completeness. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The heart literally just means heart. And so, and it's interesting that the heart and the circulatory system is the, th the first thing that's really going to suffer from prolonged stress over your life, right? Stress is called the silent killer because your heart gives out if you have too much stress for too long. Peace will guard your heart. That muscle in there that's beating will be protected by peace if we do these things. Also, figuratively, our emotions, our spiritual life, our feelings, our body. In the Jewish thinking, it was more of your guts, your bowels that would be protected. And your mind, the word literally means your thoughts. Also, one's literal brain, their ideas, their thought processes, their worldview will be protected by peace. So in the internal city of our heart and our mind, if you want to think of the, the mind being the citadel and, and the heart being the under city and, and the tunnels underneath, the peace of God is the doorman and the guard. The word here will guard your heart and mind. It's like a city guard. It's like the patrolman. It's like the, door, the doorman, the watchman of the, of the gates. We bypass him, we bypass peace, we bypass the guard when we choose to let in stress and anxious thoughts. And sometimes we do this on purpose. We can purposely go out and invite stress into our lives. But we equip him when we make our requests known to God through grateful prayers. We're giving our guard ammunition when we're making our requests known to God, when we're praying to God, when we're praying in an attitude of gratitude. 
Paul transitions, finally, brethren. The word finally just means he's almost done, but he's a pastor, so it's not really done. (laughs) Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on the good. Think on good things. Think on light. Think on happy thoughts. Do not dwell on the opposite of this list. Do not dwell on untrue things, vile things, naughty things, impure, disturbing content, trashy material, and despicable things. Don't dwell on these things because what you dwell on is going to be what the story is in your internal life. And the more that you have that internal story happening in a dark direction, the more that the darkness will be inside you. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If therefore the the lamp has become darkness, how great is that darkness within you. So what we look at affects what's happening inside. And what we look at metaphorically, what we're thinking about, what we're focused on is going to affect what's going on inside. So dwell on the good. The word dwell here uh, could mean meditate, which is why I've got a podcast on meditation. Uh, I have found meditation to be hugely helpful to myself. In the last couple months, I've really started meditating. Take a passage of scripture and just meditate on it. And I've actually started breathing scripture. This is a practice that they did in the Eastern Church. We don't do it as much in the West, but just take something like the Lord's Prayer and to yourself silently pray some of it in. Our Father who art in heaven, pray some of it out. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You know, and it's hard to do on the fly. And <laughs> but it's, it's something that really helps me to focus on the words, to calm down. The, the heart rate starts to reduce and you start entering into a state where you're actually thinking about what you're saying. Not thinking about the 10 things you need to do. Not thinking about what should have happened. Not thinking about your past or your future. You're just focused on the words. Meditation can be tremendously helpful. So that's part of the word dwell. But the word literally means to count, which is kind of strange. But the, the, the idea is to count, to calculate, to meditate, to think on. Sometimes our brain is like this little guy that's fiddling with a Rubik's Cube, and it's trying to figure it out, right? And our brains like to do that. It's like, I mean, it's like food for our brain to figure something out. And if our brain doesn't have something to figure out, then it's going to stress about something because it's just like this anxious little kid that's got to have something in its hands. And so what Paul is saying is find, some, find a good Rubik's Cube to give to your brain because what it, what it spends its time fiddling with is what you're going to be, become. And I think it's especially true, this first one is the most important, whatever is true. Speak the truth to yourself. Speak the truth to others. Live in the truth. Abide in the truth. Because as you speak truth, your brain is going to, your pathways in your brain are going to become true pathways. And you're going to um, face the world in truth and not in deception. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is the spirit of truth. God is the God of truth. And Satan is the, God, is the, the, the evil one, and he is the spirit of lies. And lies are his mother tongue. So beware of deception. Beware. Uh, Paul repeats over and over, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. And the commentator, the commentary that I read said the, the fact that he's repeating this whatever, whatever, whatever is good, whatever is true, 
means he's opening his arms up to saying, there's good stuff out there. Whatever it is that's good and pure and true and all the rest of it, embrace it. So the Greeks he was writing to lived in a, a rich time in history where they had philosophy and they had art and they had sculpturing and they had cinema and they had architecture. Did I say that already? They had a rich culture and heritage. Was there good in their culture? Well, certainly it seems that there was because Paul knew enough about poetry to slip in a quote from one of their poets into his sermon. So Paul found something from culture and said, this is good. Uh, on Mars Hill, he said, do not your own poets say we are all God's children. And he slipped that into his sermon. So we can go out in culture and find good things and say, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to listen to this music. I'm going to watch this movie. And, you know, you consult your own conscience on those issues. But there is good in culture. But there's also bad in culture. And I'd encourage us not to just take a superficial look. The fact that there's bad stuff in movies doesn't necessarily mean that media is bad. What matters is the overarching story and, and, and how the bad is treated. There's bad stuff in the Bible too, right? There's murder, there's rape, there's adultery, there's all sorts of stuff. But the bad guys are the bad guys and the good guys are the good guys. And when we're reading stuff that glorifies evil and glorifies what is despicable and vile, even stuff that's just not well done, uh, it's going to make us less than we could be. And it's going to darken the light that is in us. So we could object to this just quickly. Isn't this escapism? Aren't we just like an ostrich burying our head in the sand? I'm only going to think happy thoughts. Think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts. That's, that's one way of dealing with stress. It's just trying to think happy thoughts. But it only works so long because the bad stuff's going to come. Well, we're still aware of the bad. And we're dealing with it. In fact, we're taking something that's bad. We're formulating that into a request. And we're presenting that request to somebody that can make a difference about it. And then we focus on the good again. So we are aware of the bad. We're praying about the bad. We're turning that into prayer so that we can dwell on the good. And isn't it good and godly to point out flaws and sins? Isn't it some sort of a spiritual gift, the gift of discernment or something, to look at somebody and see all their flaws and all their sins? I used to think this. And at a certain point I realized this is not the gift of discernment. This is a critical spirit that needs to be resisted. It can take a certain sort of talent to see something that's really good and pick out the negative in that. You know, there's food critics and there's art critics that get paid big money to pick out the bad in the good. But in our day-to-day -day life, what is far more important and far more valuable is to look at something that's mediocre and pick out what's exceptional and say, you did a really great job because of. And this is praiseworthy because of. And that's what builds people up. And that's what, that's what makes your internal life also far more blessed. And so, and then Paul concludes, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here's our promise. As we do these things, we do not choose anxiety. We don't let him into our city. We do not choose anxiety. Rather, we choose to pray grateful prayers. And we choose to dwell on the good as much as we can. When bad things come, we turn them back to prayer. And we dwell on the good. As we do these things, and as we live our lives in a godly way, the God of peace will be with you. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, these are complex issues and heavy issues, and we know that there are people struggling with all sorts of large um, problems that are physical, that are mental, that are spiritual. And I thank you that you've given us some tools. And I pray that you would also give us an ear to hear and a heart to understand. And help us to be available for people that are struggling. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised to protect us in peace. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.